Hey, everybody. Good to see all of you. Um, that just cracks me up. I just love that. You could hear them singing, couldn't you? Yeah. And you didn't have to be on this side of the room to hear them. That's awesome. Do not let the kids outsing you. That's my advice for today. Uh, hey, good to see everybody in, in the house. That's great. Those of you who are gathered online, glad that you're with us as well, wherever you may be. Um, those of you who live in the northern climes are dealing with quite a bit of snow, from what I understand. And um, <clears throat> uh, so hopefully that you're all safe and warm, at least, you know, this morning. That'll be good. Um, I am uh, in the midst of this. No, I'm not. I'm finishing up this series called Fire in the Fireplace. And um, been talking really about this idea of, of life, daily life with the Holy Spirit. Um, here's the thing. I, I was thinking about this a little bit. I'm like, look, I don't, I don't have all of this worked out. Uh, I'm, I'm still trying to learn what this means um, on a daily basis. I mean, I get the weekly basis because I get to go to church. And, um, but what does it mean to actually live life with the Holy Spirit? I, and, and what crossed my mind the other day is, there, there was a point in my life where even as I was um, doing this job, there would be nights my head would hit the pillow and I would realize that I had not really talked to God. As, and, 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 and as I'm laying down, I'm like, wow, I missed a day. And I live my life as a functional atheist. Now, that, that doesn't mean I don't believe in God, but I don't act like it. Functional atheist. Do you understand what I mean? And I was like, ooh, I don't think I like that label. I don't, <laughs> I don't like that description. And over the last couple of years, I've gotten certainly a lot better about this, just trying to be aware that, that Holy Spirit is present even when I'm feeling lousy, even when I'm feeling uncertain, um, even when I'm feeling aggravated, even when I'm feeling joyful all of those things, that Holy Spirit is present, and I'm trying to be more aware of that. And at the same time, trying to, again, you've heard me say this before, is you know, talking about this idea of positioning myself and taking on this, this posture of recept, receptivity. And, um, you know, we spent a couple weeks talking about the, um, the importance of Acts chapter 2 and some of those ramifications. And, and even this idea that, that the Spirit of God lives in us, for us. He lives inside of you, helping to guide you and to speak to you, and as long as you're aware of his presence and all of that. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit comes on us for the benefit of others. Um, Pastor Dan often talks about this idea of being a conduit, a blessing. And, and that's really what, what it kind of comes down to, is that the Holy Spirit is, is inside of you. Um, but the the point and the purpose is not for him to stay there, but he comes upon you for the benefit of others. And so if you're, you know, kind of thinking about this a little bit and then you're like, okay, Spirit, if you're living inside of me and I'm listening to you, um, I pray that you would come upon me for the benefit of other people. Uh, that's a dangerous prayer, but it is awesome. Um, because when you, are, when you feel that you are partnering with Holy Spirit to do his work, it, it, uh, it's something else. It's, it's just feeling like no other. But we also learned through this series, um, it's just kind of funny to me because 
I, I think I, I get the benefit of I get to learn stuff and then I get to teach it. And I always learn more because I have to teach things than, than just if I were learning it on my own. But <clears throat> we had learned kind of collectively together that he's the fire and we're the fireplace, right? So we have this idea that he lives inside of us. But, but with all of that, God lights that fire, but we have to tend it. You know, we have a responsibility in the relationship that, that he expects us to live up to. And there's even these moments in, our, in our, our Christian life where sometimes we have to fan that back into flame because it can die out and it's easy to do. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, the, the two main enemies of this is, is kind of that voice of shame. Who do you think you are? And the second one is just distraction. And there are a lot of distractions. Have you noticed that? You go to Costco, man. I'm telling you, there's a lot of distractions in Costco or whatever. You know, your st- It doesn't even have to be Costco. You can even do it on your phone on Amazon.com. Oh my gosh. There's tons of distractions that are out there. And, and so sometimes those things will take our attention away from this idea of, of tending the fire. And so we have to fan the thing back into, into flame. Um, I, I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but there are certain people in your life who are, they act like bellows. You know, they, they really fan it into flame. And I, I, that's what I want to be. I want to be a bellow. Not that I want a bellow. I just want to be a bellow. Some of you will get to that later. So anyway. So. But there's this active component to our, our relationship with God. And, and I think, I, I guess I've, I've always kind of known this, but what, I'm, what the series has reinforced for me is that discipleship is not passive. It is something that we are actively engaged in, partnering with God, trying to learn more about Him, trying to learn more <clears throat> um, of His nature and His goodness. And I, I love the fact that we were singing that song because I, I don't think we emphasize the goodness of God enough. He's just good. And, you know, even when we don't see it or feel it, he's working. Why? Because he's good. And the things that he's working on are good. Now, it may not feel like it's good for us in the moment, but in the long run, it always is because he always has our best interest at heart. Always. Always has our best interest at heart. And so I think that's an um, important thing for us to kind of remember is that he's good. Um, every Sunday, when we, when we gather together, together for prayer, we make that declaration. God, we just say that you're good. Um, in my journaling, when I'm worshiping God, it's the first thing I lead off with. God, you're good. I don't understand how all this is working out. There are points in my life that I really don't like right now, or there are things that I'm trying to work through, or there's things I'm uncertain of, but I'm going to trust that you're good. So let's just start there. Let's start with that idea that he's good. So it's not a passive thing. It's something that we got to pay attention to. And so sometimes um, we're fortunate enough that in our discipleship, um, we, we have the opportunity to experience the activity of God, where he'll do something, or he'll say something. And it'll, it'll be a bit of a surprise, but, but we, we, we experience that activity. And so when we experience the activity of God, um, what do we do? What do we do when we actually experience the movement of God? Well, I think the, the first thing that you have to do is when God's moving, you have to receive it. Um, I, I, I spend a lot of time with a group of pastors. Uh, all of us are trying to be better disciples. 
because being a better disciple makes us better pastors. And one of the things that has come up over and over again, as we are talking together as a group, somebody will say something and uh, invariably someone in the group will just say, I received that. I, I needed to hear that today. God is speaking through you to me, and I'm going to receive that thing you have. And so when God moves, whether it's uh, in his word or in his deed, the first thing I think this is beneficial is for you to say out loud, I received that. That's from God. I'm acknowledging the fact that he's moving or he's saying something, and I'm going to receive it. So when God moves, just receive it. That's the first thing. The second thing we do is we thank him, right? I mean, I mean sometimes that's the first thing we do. Oh, thank you, God. Like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I need to receive that first. Whatever. I'm not sure that you know, God cares about the order as much. I just think that that's what makes sense to me. But we do thank him for it. But there's a third step, and it's the one that I think we overlook a little too often. And I don't mean that from a judgmental or a condemning standpoint. I just think it's kind of um, an observation that I, that I have is that when God moves, yes, we receive it. Yes, we thank him for it. But there's another step, and that step is, is to tell the story. Sharing is caring, right? Have you heard this? It's a common thing on, on social media that if you, know, you found something beneficial on, sh- on social media, uh, that you're going to share it with you know, all of your network of friends too. Sharing is caring. Well, I, I mean, the early Christians had this one down pat, right? <laughs> we had this idea that sharing is caring. And so not only do we, we receive it, not only do we thank them for it, but then we begin to tell that story to other people. We need to share the goodness of God with others because who knows what they need to hear. And they need to hear it from you, not from some talking head on a screen or somebody who's standing up in front of a group of people. They need to hear it from from you as well. And what happens when we share? What, What happens when we share these things? Well, you know, there's a certain amount of excitement to it, you know, because we're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And I, I, I've told you this before. I think one of the, the most, one of the funner parts of my job, funner, I think it's fun, is that when I'm talking to somebody who isn't necessarily um, a believer, who isn't necessarily a Christian, and you just mention to them, like, boy, that sounds like God to me. And they're like, what? You know, they tell a little bit about what's going on. And you're like, man, that sounds like, that sounds like the hand of God is on your life. Really? Yeah. Let me tell you a story. And then you illustrate it however the Lord leads you to do that. And, and it's this amazing kind of moment that builds excitement because they're like, wait a minute. So what you're saying is this, this God that I don't necessarily acknowledge or really believe in actually acknowledges me? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's fun. Let me tell you. It's kind of one of these moments. And it's a really cool thing. And, and, you know, you might not get them to say the sinner's prayer right then and there. That's okay. Because what you've done is you've opened their eyes to, the, to a facet of life that maybe they've been unaware of. That's fun. That's fun to do. So there's a certain amount of excitement um, when, we, uh, when we share um, stories. But there's something else that sometimes happens, not always, but sometimes. And when it does, it is just amazing. Sometimes God moves more. Sometimes when we tell the story of what happened, God moves more. 
Now, I think I got a story that illustrates this. Some of you may have heard me tell this before, but I don't think I've done it um, in the assembly quite like this. This is another pastor's story. This did not happen to me. I am appropriating it for illustrative purposes, okay? I would love for something like this to happen to me, <laughs> and, and I pray that it does, but I need to, to, to tell you this particular story. There's a pastor who was um, in the middle of a service and really sensed that God was um, telling him that they should you know, pray for some healing after service. Um, from time to time, that happens here, um, but in this particular congregation, it happens quite often. And this pastor said that they did. At the end of his sermon, he had everybody get up and they were praying. And he says, in a very short period of time, he says, I kind of lost control of it. <laughs> that would be fun too. I mean, I, there's a part of me, I got to admit, I like a little bit of chaos. Um, especially if it's Holy Spirit driven chaos. I think that's, that's fun. Anyway, in the midst of this healing service, somebody came up to him and said, Pastor, there's a little boy who just got healed of a clubbed foot. And it was like, Pastor said, well, that's interesting. Um, can, can you introduce me? And so somehow in the midst of the assembly, they got this little boy and his family. Um, uh, apparently he was like four or five years old. So imagine our own little Joel, okay? That's, that's who I think about at that particular age, okay? Just ramming around and Joel's got two speeds, sleep and go fast, right? I mean, that's kinda, and I kinda have that impression that that's what this little boy was like. But what the pastor said was that the little boy came walking up to him and on the top of his foot, because he had his shoes and socks off, on the top of his foot was a scab because moments earlier, the top of the foot was on the bottom. That type of club foot where it had scraped for so long. And here he was, perfect, the way it's supposed to be. Now, I don't know if I'm gonna get through this without being emotional, okay? So I'm just gonna warn you that it's one of those kinds of stories. So the little boy comes up with his mom and dad, and I, I guess siblings and whatnot, and the next little sibling um, said to him, Johnny, run. So he did. <laughs> And he laps the crowd a few times. And he comes back to his sister and he goes, I can run. Right here. You know, gets you right here. Little boy. Running. Because that's what they're supposed to do. Clubfoot. Now, here's where it gets interesting. A week later, <clears throat> pastor's back in service. And this pastor is committed to telling stories. And so he tells the story of this little boy the week before. Okay? In the service, there's a mom. Mom has a daughter in the kids ministry with a club foot. Goes to pick her up. No more club foot. Nobody prayed for her. That was a mama believing in the story that was just told. Holding on to it for all it's worth. Saying if that's the kind of God we serve, if God did that, then God can continue to do that. Yes, that's exactly right. But wait, there's more. 
Two or three weeks later, pastor is in another state and he's telling this story to a con- congregation. He's a guest speaker. So he tells the two stories. He tells the story of the little boy and then <clears throat> he says, wait, I got more to tell you. He tells a story about this little girl. Remember, he's in another state. It's not his congregation, somebody else's congregation. Finishes up this conference, whatever it is, there's prayer, there's some healing, that's really great. Gets into the car to drive to the airport and the church provided him a driver. The driver says to him, pastor, I need to tell you something. You see where this is going, don't you? He says, I'm from Brazil. My sister is watching on TV in Brazil. I just got a text from her. My niece has a club foot. So cool. My sister asked my niece to come out of her bedroom and take off her shoes and socks. So she did. And the child is like 10, 11 years old, okay? So like roughly Eliana's age. So you just have an idea. And uh, she said, honey, come here. As the child is walking down the hall, the foot straightens. Mama is watching this in Brazil because somebody told a story somewhere in the United States that wasn't even his congregation. If that doesn't get you right here, I don't know what will. And if that doesn't prove to you that it's a good God, I don't know what will. But sometimes when we tell the story, yes, it drives a certain amount of excitement. Yes, it gives a little bit of hope. But sometimes God continues to move. He goes, hold on a second, I'm not done yet. And I think that in and of itself is, is, it's just the reason to continue to tell stories. For me, it was realizing that it's just a faithful testimony given by a senior leader. That's all it is. And just because there's a single miracle, that doesn't mean that God's done with it. He's got more to do. And I think that's just kind of amazing. That's the type of Holy Spirit that is in you and the type of Holy Spirit that's on you for others. So even if you don't feel like you've got, you know, a particular gift or whatnot, you can tell a story. You can tell a series of stories. You can say what the Lord has done for you or what the Lord has done for for someone else. You can do all those things. Now, I want to give you a scripture passage that I think is going to help illustrate this a little bit. Um, at least it'll be helpful to us. And so if you have a Bible or Bible app, I'd love for you to turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. There's a little um, story here that I want to read to you because there's a phrase in here that I think we need to hold on to with just with all of our hearts. We need to hold on to this, okay? So Revelation chapter 19. So Revelation is a book 
where John, the beloved, is given a vision or a series of visions about the future, and he writes it, writes it down. <clears throat> I'm just going to tell you right now, it's a bizarre book, okay? Um, it is the only book of the Bible that John Calvin did not write a commentary on, okay? Now, John Calvin is not, was not afraid of pretty much anything, um, but he did not write a commentary on the book of <laughs> Revelation. Um, so there are some things in here that you, you've got to read with a certain mindset, but here's a story that I think is really important for us to to see. Um, So John is uh, up in heaven and he's uh, seeing all kinds of things. He's hearing um, like the voice from the throne of God and making, um, um, uh, making decrees and, and uh, the heavenly realms are praising God. I mean, it's just all kinds of crazy stuff that's going on here. Um, And then there's a discussion here about um, Jesus being the bridegroom um, and that the church is his bride. And, and I want to start, and this is in verse 9, <clears throat> chapter 19, verse 9. Then the angel said to me, the angel's kind of his guide, his host at this point in the vision. Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Okay? So there's this massive vision, it includes all kinds of things about a wedding feast and whatnot, and the angel makes the statement to uh, John the Beloved that you need to write this down. And then verse 10, at this, I fell at his feet to worship him. Okay, that's a big deal. Because remember, John the Beloved was in the presence of Jesus. He understands what worship is and how to worship. So whatever he just saw, whatever he said, brought him to his knees in, a, in an attitude of worship. But look what the angel said. But he said to me, do not do it. Don't worship me. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, you may have a translation that's a little bit different. This one is the closest to the Greek, okay? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, okay? If you parse out the Greek, this is how how it's constructed. I don't know why the translators made other translations. I don't. Anyway, I like this one. This one makes the most sense to me, and I think it's the closest to the original language. There's two parts to this. There's, first is that it's the testimony of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus. This is part one. Now, let's, let's think about this. What is a testimony? What is it? When you have a testimony, what are we actually saying? Well, testimony is a legal term. It's what witnesses do. Witnesses tell the story from their perspective. That's testimony of a witness. And you'll remember before Jesus was lifted up from the disciples, he says, you will be my what? Witnesses. Witnesses testify, right? So not only are you going to see these things, you are going to tell others about it. You are my witnesses from uh, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. You are my witnesses. Um, you describe simply what you've seen. What is that description? You tell that story. In other words, tell the story as best you can. 
here at Thrive, we talk about how we love God collectively as a group of people. And we do that every week through celebration. That's where you are right now. We are celebrating God. We do that by worship and testimony. That's how you love God. Remember, sharing is caring. So you testify to the things that you know, testify to the things that you've seen, testify to the things that you've experienced, and barring all that, then you testify to what others have experienced. Every time I open the word and I read to you a story, I am testifying. I am taking that story out of the book and presenting it to you, I am testifying. Preaching, by its very nature, is a testimony. At least it ought to be, in my opinion. Does this make sense? Nod your head so I know you're awake. Yes. Yeah. So we have this idea of testimony. And this is what we're doing here as a group. <clears throat> and so what I want to encourage you to do is to tell your story or someone else's or the Bible. I'm just testifying here. I'm just testifying. In fact, part of me says we shouldn't call this um, church service. We should call this an episode. Because I'm, telling, I'm trying to tell a story here. And every time I do a series, I'm trying to tell you a story. Over a period of time, I'm trying to testify to these, these kinds of things. Now, the other half of this verse is the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well... Prophecy is simply a declaration of what God is going to do in the future. Now, I know that there's a lot of um, fiction books that talk about prophecies, and it's just about the future. Biblical prophecy is always dependent on God. It's what God's going to do. The prophecy is what God's going to do, or not do, as the case may be. But the point is, is that biblical prophecy is always centered on God and God's activity. And so when we talk about prophecy from a biblical standpoint, we are talking about a declaration of something that God's going to do in the future. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's insight that he's giving, but it's always dependent on God. Are you with me? It's not speculation. It's something that's a declaration that, that uh, God is involved, what God's going to do or not going to do. Now, I want you to notice something here. Part one of this, the testimony of Jesus, is what you're looking backwards. You're looking in the past, right? Spirit of prophecy is looking forward into the future. I just realized that I did that opposite. So part one is the past. <laughs> it's the past, right? And part two is the future, the spirit of of. of prophecy is talking about the future, and the two of them are connected. What God has done, God will do again. That's what this is saying. The stuff that God has done, he's going to do it again. That's a pretty powerful statement, at least in, in my mind it is. We can have confidence now that God, the God who has moved will move again. The activity of God that you have experienced will experience again. The experience of a little boy with a club foot was experienced again weeks later in Brazil. 
the testimony of Jesus, Jesus heals a little boy, is the spirit of prophecy. Two weeks later, he heals a little girl. You see that? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And what happens is, is that the blessing then is multiplied, right? So not only do you have the blessing of this family and the little boy with a healed foot, now you got another one and then you got one on another side of the world. You begin to see how the blessings of God begin to multiply over time simply by telling a story a couple of times in the assembly. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you think that this testimony is cool, you ain't seen nothing yet. There's more. In fact, Jesus at one point tells his disciples, you're going to do all this and more. Oh, by the way, you're his disciple. So you get to be a part of that as well. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Remember when, remember when Jesus fed 5,000 people? You know the story, right? They're out in the middle of nowhere. And, and they're, they're uh, uh, preaching and they're listening and there's 5,000 people. And, you know, the story goes, it's 5,000 men. So there's probably women and children too. So there's probably more than 5,000. You know, the whole rigmarole. But anyway, there's five, at least 5,000 people there. And, and the disciples are like, hey, should we send these people home? Because it's getting to be dark out and, you know, they're going to be hungry. And, you know, and Jesus looks at his disciples. And I love this. He goes, no, you give them something to eat. Wait, there's no McDonald's around here. I can't go to Chick-fil-A and pick up, you know, 5,000 Chick-fil-A sandwiches. <clears throat> no, you give them something to eat. And so what do they collect? Bread and fish. And at the end, there's 12 baskets full left over. And it's interesting to me that there were little miracles. The fact that one bread got broken and broken and broken, even though it keeps getting broken and broken and never actually runs out. So every time a family gets a part of the bread and begins to break it apart, they pass it out to each other and they get a little piece of fish. I wonder what kind of fish that was. And they were, you know, take it apart and they start passing it out and passing it out over and over. That's not one miracle. That's a whole, that's like 5,000 miracles times how many other people are there too, Right. And so every single time, you know, like, okay, here's, here's this. I don't know how there's any left over, but, you know, you can have some. And, and so they do. And then the disciples collect 12 more baskets when they're all said and done. How does that actually happen? That's a, that's a miracle of God. Can you imagine that testimony? Can you imagine that testimony to hungry people? So the blessing multiplies as, as the activity of God moves forward multiplies. We're not talking about just addition. We're talking about multiplication in many respects. <clears throat> and we don't just see this in the, um, in, the, in the New Testament. We also see it in the Old Testament. Let me, let me pull out a couple things. You know how much I love the poets. Uh, so let me, let me read to you um, kind of what the poet said. So here's Psalm. Uh, let's see. I want to make sure I get this right. Psalm 66, 16. The the poet says, come and listen, all you who fear God. Those of you who respect God, come and listen. Let me tell you what he has done for me. Testimony. 
Let me testify to what the Lord has done. That's the spirit of prophecy. You need to hear this. You need to hear this because you're going you're gonna to need it at some point in your life. Um, let's go on. Psalm 70. Oh, let's see. Where's the other one? Psalm 71, um, verse 15. Let's start in 14. The poet says, But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long. Though I know not its measure. I, I have, I don't, I, I can't, I, I can't do this for anybody else. I can only do this for me. I don't know how big this is. I can only tell you what it means for me personally. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. That's testimony. Do you see that? Testifying. Why? Because it's the spirit of prophecy. 105. There's lots of these. Psalm 105. Um, first couple verses. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Testimony, right? Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, the things that he's done. Sometimes I think we are, we are more interested in telling um, people about our theology and what we believe. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, uh, years ago, we were sitting in a meeting, uh, I think it was a homeschool group, and um, uh, it was a parents' meeting, and I don't, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but um, I just mentioned that, you know, for some of the older students, I'd be willing to, to do a, a Bible study with them if they wanted to, and I was trying to gauge some interest. And some woman behind me uh, kind of leaned forward, and she goes, can you teach apologetics? Because we really need somebody to teach apologetics. Now, I don't know if you know what apologetics are, but apologetics is more of the philosophy of the Christian religion as compared to everybody else. It's a defense of the faith. There is nothing wrong with that. There are people who are experts at that. If you're interested in who they are, let me know. I can give you some names, provide you with some resources. Okay, nothing wrong with apologetics, right? But let me tell you the best apologetic is you and your faithfulness with God. Because people aren't argued into faith. Few people are argued into faith. Most people will see the acts of God, will hear the testimony and experience God themselves. I'm not setting apologetics aside. I'm just saying that a more powerful apologetic really is your life, your illustration, your testimony, and that spirit of prophecy. The God who moved is going to move again. It's an important thing to remember. Every act of God reveals his nature and it's good and we can have confidence in him. So the poets are telling us, tell your story. Tell your story because in it is hope and in it is confidence and all of those things because we know the spirit of prophecy comes from the testimony of Jesus. What has the Lord done for you? Now, I want to tell you another story. I've been holding on to this one for a while. Um, in fact, um, I'm going to tell it, but 
Um, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get this on video at some point because the, the story is amazing. Um, so a member of our congregation, uh, her name is Sherry, and Sherry has a granddaughter whose name is Savannah. And when Savannah was born, she was born with a rare uh, bone disorder. There was no, uh, your, your bones, I don't know if you know this, but your bones are hollow, right? And inside it is something called marrow. Um, her bones were completely solid. And she was not expected to live um, but for a couple of years, largely because um, the way the bones grow, you know, they would not grow, there would be all kinds of health problems. Um, that bone abnormality would, would probably be also quite painful. Can you imagine how that felt for a mom and dad? I don't remember what the timeline was, but she wasn't expected to live more than a few years. And they went to specialists and specialty hospitals, and um, Sherry herself was a nurse, and so she tried to stay on top of it, and she was very good about keeping her small group up to speed on it. And, and there were several um, people who had been praying over a period of time, and then one day, the baby had a bone scan, and it was normal. Normal bones in a baby girl. I'm not sure how. I don't know why. I don't know how it happened. But what I'm trying to do is join Lee and Sherry in crediting God. You know, was there a moment where somebody's prayer got a hold of God's attention? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm just grateful that, that the bones are normal, that they are what they are supposed to be. And my thought is, at this point, is we're going to credit God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And there's somebody, somewhere, who needs that encouragement. And like I said, the story is a little more dramatic than that. Um, and I'm hoping that we'll get... Um, Sherry on film to kind of talk about it a little bit because it's, it's truly astonishing. We, I remember when we got the text message and we're all just kind of blinking like owls, like, wait, what just happened? Couldn't believe it. No idea. No idea. But be encouraged that God is on the move and that the stories that we tell is really prophesying what he's going to do in the future. And so the challenge for you this week, this month, this year, to testify something that the Lord has done either for you or someone else. Tell your story to encourage someone because it's the same God. Tell your story to instill hope. He can and he still does. And he will do it again. Tell your story to worship. Because we believe and we put our trust in you, O oh Lord. We believe this is true. Because the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. We worship you for that. We trust that you're going to do this again. One last verse, one last thing to look at. There's a moment um, in Mark chapter 5 that I want you to see. 
this is, um, I, I often return to the story because I, I just find it so, it's such a compelling story. This is the Gerasene demoniac. We actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, let's see. So um, Jesus comes ashore, this uh, individual who has this legion of demons um, in him, uh, has a conversation with Jesus. Jesus sends all the demons into the pigs. The pigs run themselves into the water and drowned. Can you imagine that barbecue, right? And then the villagers come and they see this horrible man who is sitting in his right mind for the first time. And what's so interesting, it says in the word that they were terrified. <laughs> it's like, okay, seeing the guy crazy was scary enough. Seeing him in his right mind, now that's terrifying. Okay. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. This is interesting because in the book of Mark, um, there's this thing called the Messianic secret where Jesus tries to keep it under wraps that he is the Messiah. Uh, now the demons recognize him for who he is. But here is one time where he takes a Gentile, not a Jew, and he says, go and tell your family what the Lord has done for you. Well, he does that and more. The Decapolis is 10 Gentile cities in the northern part of Israel. And he just starts telling a story. He starts telling a story because he can't help it. And, I mean, it just... Now, keep in mind, there's no sales pitch here. Jesus never said, would you like to ask me into your heart? Right? There's no prayer here. There's no, hey, why don't you say this prayer and everything's going to be okay. But do you think Jesus gained some followers that day? At the very minimum, a whole bunch of people took the first step. Why? Because they were amazed. God's on the move? Yeah. God did that? Yeah. I got to know more about this God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Someday I'm going to take a look at the Decapolis and see kind of what happened to them after in history because I suspect um, that in that area we, we, we see a, a beginnings of an early church. Um, I suspect that. Evangelism often starts with a story. And sometimes, miracles do too. Let's pray. Jesus, you're good. We cannot declare that enough. You are the way, the truth, and the life, and the truth is you are good. I simply and humbly declare that in this assembly today. And I tell the story of another pastor and I tell the story of a family here and I tell these stories to testify, to witness to who you are, your nature, your goodness and I know 
that we are prophesying what you will do in the future. Because your nature is good and you love your kids. It's that simple. And so, Lord, I pray that each one of us would have the faith of a child to just believe that simple truth, that you're good, that you have good things in mind for your people. Not that everything's going to be perfect, not that we won't have to struggle through, not that there won't be pain and suffering as we go along, but ultimately we can trust you because you're good and there is story after story after story that tells us that. And when we open your word, we want to see the things that happen then happen in our church now. Because that is the testimony of Jesus and we believe it's something that you will want to continue to do to this day. So Lord, we're going to pray for healing. Lord, we're going to prophesy when we believe that you're speaking. Lord, we are going to follow you and your promptings. We're going to learn how to have the conversations with people. We're going to learn to listen to your voice, to trust in your guidance, and to be your people. Thrive Church is your church. We once again submit it to you to do what you want to do. And Lord, as we sing, as we pray, as we are um, listen to your word, uh, even for the remainder, the balance of our time together, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. It's your church. We invite you to come and to do the work that you want to do among us. And Lord, I pray for more than anything else that each one of us in a very short period of time would have a story that we want to tell someone else. A story of your goodness story of your mercy, the story of your power, because that's the kingdom. We believe this to be true. We believe that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and we don't want to miss out on any of it. So Lord, be welcome here. Holy Spirit, be welcome here. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.